This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 457. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined by co-host and president, CEO, founder, everything awesome, Jacob Paulson. I'm here. <laughs> hey, next episode is going to be 458. Yeah. 458 SOCOM. We're not giving one away. No. No, we're Sorry. not. <laughs> but that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, and I saw your your face as I said episode four fifty seven. It was like a whoa. <laughs> Dude, at some point, I guess we'll be saying episode nine hundred and eight nine hundred ninety nine. But it's going to throw up like throw off all of our filing systems. Everything we do when we break four digits, like it's going to completely screw up our systems. <laughs> It'd be like Y two K ish. Maybe we should start. Maybe tell you what, when we hit episode one thousand, we will then call that. Season two, episode one. <laughs> we'll just start it. We'll just call it an entirely new podcast. I don't know. <laughs> season two. <laughs> yeah, we finally concluded season one after yeah, it took eight years. <laughs> well, hey guys, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us. Today will be a bit of a different topic or episode of sorts. I don't know. Kind of short on ideas today. So, you know what? If you don't like today's episode, it's a perfect opportunity to hit us up at uh, podcast at concealedcarry.com, our email address for the podcast, and say, guys, uh, why don't you talk about this thing or that thing? All right? Hit us up. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, episode, topic, ideas, anything's game, podcast at concealedcarry.com. That, that actually forwards directly to mine and Jacob's and Matthew's inboxes, so we all see those and respond and uh yeah uh we could we could totally do like another like we've we've covered uh listeners questions and stuff in the past it's been a while you know mostly just because we haven't had as many questions in a while so i guess i'm saying send us your questions maybe we'll put together an episode with uh, nothing but questions uh today's episode is sponsored by the range tech bluetooth shot timer uh, you know, we make them right here in Colorado. So these are American-made uh, products. Uh, how often do you see an electronic product that's basically made and assembled in the U.S. Uh, and uh, made by yours truly? I mean, Jacob make, has been making them more lately. I've certainly cranked out a bunch over the months. And uh, that's kind of a revolving, I guess, duty assignment. Uh, and we got to get more of our guys trained up to make them in the shop and warehouse. But uh, guys, Range Tech Bluetooth Shot Timer, our goal with that is to put shot timers in the hands of more shooters at an affordable price. Uh, there is nothing that beats this in terms of the affordability and the functionality, the options, what you can do with the Range Tech Bluetooth Shot Timer. Pick one up today. RangeTechTimer.com is the address where you can check them out. Uh, also, today's episode brought to you by the new Ready Up Gear Roger 22 ear protection. These are the over-the-ear earmuffs. Uh, Ready Up Gear, brand new, brand new product line, brand new company. 
uh, coming out with some sweet stuff. We got some cool stuff uh, coming also here in the very near future. I'm super excited to actually roll out. Uh, Jacob would be happy to know I was working on some image, uh, some photo uh, editing of the new product just before we started this podcast. Super excited about that. So, uh, Ready Up Gear, Roger 22, Earmuff, Ear Pro, awesome price, awesome deal. Go to concealedcarry.com. I don't know if we have a short link for that or not. Well, I suppose you can just go to readyupgear.com. Wait, readyupgear.com. That's what I meant. Yeah. They're probably on concealedcarry.com site too. They are. It just takes a little longer to find them, I suppose. Go to readyupgear.com and they'll be like right there on the main page. So there we go. That should do it. Yep, yep, yep. All right. So here's the deal. Um, I kind of sprung this on Jacob. Uh, I was thinking about it earlier and I, I, I just, and I really enjoyed the conversation you and I had, uh, at a barbecue place in Arizona, <laughs> like mm, what, Dylan's five days ago and, uh, five, five or six days. I don't know. Thursday last, last uh, Friday. So it's almost, I remember week. the food better than our conversation. Yeah. The food was good. Um, I would do the uh, I would do the the burn ends again for sure. Yeah, that was pretty tasty. The burn ends were good. Your your ribs looked tasty as the well. The ribs were good. The burn ends were good. The pulled pork was good. No one was impressed with the brisket. So if you go to Dylan's in Arizona, maybe don't get the brisket. Yeah, it was okay. I mean, I ate it, but oh well. All right. So we were sitting there after we had just gotten done with the uh, USPSA. Area two championship. So uh, for those that don't know the you know, USPSA, the United States practical shooting association is divided up in eight areas or regions across the country. Uh, Region two or area two covers California, Arizona, New Mexico, uh, Colorado, I think Utah as well, or maybe Utah's area one. But anyway, well, hold on. We're just—I'll give you my first outsider view right now. That's this whole area thing is stupid. Uh, it makes no sense whatsoever to an outsider because. Uh, all right, let me help you. Let me clarify, Riley. How many of these regional matches, area matches, did you go to this year? I went to three. Therefore, area is irrelevant and stupid. I don't understand this as an outsider because if this area covers X states. It really isn't relevant because apparently a shooter from anywhere in this country can compete in any area match they want. So explain that to me. Riddle me that. Well, uh, I, I can't speak to that, although I'm glad I could attend all of them because it was a great experience. Uh, I will say this much, uh, at least at least at the Area 3 championship. See, I didn't attend a, award ceremonies at Area 1 or Area 2. Area 2 is intentional because they actually said they weren't doing an award ceremony due to COVID-19 restrictions. Area 1, I simply wasn't there because I, I left uh, before uh, before the last day. Area 3, they recognized and gave trophies to the highest finishers from within the area. So those that came from outside the area didn't have that opportunity to compete, you know, within, I guess, I don't know, whatever for the trophy, I guess, but, but, but the rankings, I mean, everything relative to who won the match and what division and what class, apparently it has, I mean, the whole, the whole thing, the concept, the conceptual idea of the areas from the outsiders, outsiders perspective, maybe once was applicable, but today is stupid. Yeah. So whatever. 
Um, I cut you off though. You can finish your story. What's silly is, you know, is that, so like I went to the area three championship, which was in Nebraska. And that was like five and a half hours away as opposed to having to go to Phoenix or actually Prescott in this case, Prescott, Arizona, uh, to go to area two, which was technically in my area. So it was much closer to go outside my area to the made to the, you know, championship match than to go to my own area championship. But anyway, all right. So just forget all that. Jacob's just distracting. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a fair question though. You know, I, I, there, it wasn't that long ago that I was a bit of an outsider to all of this as well uh, because I didn't actually get into USPSA shooting officially until I think August of last year, 2019. Uh, some of it I knew beforehand, but there's definitely been a lot of things I've had to learn in the last year. Prior to that, my competitive shooting experience was primarily three gun, which in the Western states here, particularly in Colorado, almost every match is more of a, more of an outlaw match as, as it's called, meaning it's not associated with any governing body. Now, Jacob, I'll blow your mind even further. USPSA is actually technically a part of a much larger worldwide organization called IPSIC, the International Practical Shooting Confeder- Confederation. Okay. Uh, and so USPSA is actually just the U.S. Chapter, area, if yeah, you sure, will. Sure. And, yeah, so uh, it, it's the organization that oversees IPSC shooting here in the U.S., essentially. This is basically how that works. Um, so anyway, IPSC was founded in like the in like 1977, I think, uh, at a special – I think they call it the Columbia Conference. If, I, if I'm messing up the, the history, don't mind me. Because I don't, I'm not an expert on this. It's just from what I remember reading, and I, I read a lot of stuff. So there's some things that mesh together. But uh, that was in uh, Missouri, and and you had all these old timers, including like I think Rob Latham was maybe there. I know that uh, Bill Wilson and Ken Hackathorn and the, you know those guys were, uh, were were also there. Um, I'm forgetting somebody. Jeff Cooper. I have his book up on the shelf. I, I believe he was involved as well. So the idea was. Let's create, you know, because up to that time, competitive shooting was more of a let's put up bullseye targets and shoot bullseyes at mm, probably what's considered to be non or at least less practical distances as far as looking at defensive type shooting. Yeah, it was a marksmanship contest is what you're saying. Exactly. And so let's put up bullseyes and shoot bullseyes and who scores the most points on, on those bullseye targets wins. It's kind of the idea, right? And IPSC was, hey, let's create competitive shooting that accuracy is important, but so is going, you know, actually like having a time component, having to go fast. So, hey, something a little bit more practical. If I had to use my gun to defend my life or my family or my community, maybe I'm a police officer or whatever, well, that implies... I've got to get certain tasks done within certain time frames, meaning time is of the essence and I need to hit my target. So the birth of practical shooting, essentially. And now to where it's evolved is, is become a very high speed sport 
And a number of years ago, about 20 or some odd years ago, uh, IDPA, the International Defense Pistol Association, was sort of was sort of born out of the hey, let's get back to mm, trying to be a little more practical, or at least accuracy is a little more of an emphasis in IDPA than USPSA. At least that's the thinking. So anyway, point is, I'm giving all that context because. If you talk to some of the old timers, I say old timers, uh, guys that are still competing even, including at a very high level, the current this year's reigning champ in single stack, uh, meaning 1911 style platform pistols. That's a division within USPSA, Rob Latham. And I've had the pleasure of having many interesting conversations with him. In fact, I shot with him at Area 2. I was on his squad. Uh, And it's really fascinating picking his brain and hearing things, you know, kind of how things have evolved, how things have changed, what was better maybe back in the old days, maybe what's better now. Uh, and, but the point is, is that the focus from the beginning was to have competitive shooting that helped us reinforce some things more on maybe the defensive side and also became a proving ground. And that was a really big thing in the beginning was uh, to become a proving ground for equipment and new technologies uh, so that things could sort of be tested, if you will, like pressure tested, if you will, that could then maybe we could benefit in the tactical and defensive realms, which that has happened. So we have equipment these days in the defensive and tactical world that sort of was born in the practical shooting arena. So there's the context. Jacob, you just attended with me because Range Tech Shot Timers was a sponsor of USPSA Area 2 Championship. And so you came in as sort of an outsider because you'd never been to a match like that before. Never. So I, I wanted to just kind of pick your brain a little bit because I thought it was really fascinating. And I know that we have some in our audience watching or listening that are already competitive shooters, uh, maybe already USPSA shooters or IDPA. Maybe some are competitive shooters but have never tried those other disciplines. And also, we have those like you that are complete newbies to practical shooting. And so I think it's been an interesting conversation. First of all, what was your first impression showing up on day one of area two? Like you show up, you have no idea. I mean, you kind of have a sense because you've seen my, you've seen videos of me shooting. You and I have talked about it, but showing up, walking on the ground, checking things out. What was your first impression? Um, you know, I, I am an athlete, uh, just, well, at least I was once an athlete. I don't think I can claim it anymore. Athlete, uh, but I was, meaning cross country runner, <laughs> cross country and track. I'm a distant. I was, I got to yep. be careful with M and was, I was <laughs> a competitive distance runner. Um, and I achieved a certain degree of success, you know, in, in high school would be about as far as that ever went, but I was, I was serious about it. And so I guess, you know, I, I guess it, it, my first impression was this is a sport, you know, just like any other sport you show up and you got to say, this is sport. And everyone's got different ways of getting into the zone when they compete, just like runners have different ways of getting into the zone before the race starts. So some people you know, jump jump to the starting line and they're just they're all casual and want to be chatty. And other people like, get out of my face. I got my music on. Like, I'm, you know, I'm getting all pumped up. Uh, so everyone's just got kind of a different style. And that was really evident. Like, you know, and, and, and sometimes 
the culture was specific to a squad. Squads are an interesting concept, by the way. I have more thoughts about squads, but uh, it, you just kind of get the sense that like some people are like, hey, I'm in my head space. I'm in my zone. Other people like, whatever. Like Rob Latham, you know, he, he was very jovial. You know, this guy's a, a, an amazing champion doing it for a very long time. Uh, but he, I never saw him once like, guys, like, stop talking to me. I'm on, you know, I'm next and I got to like be thinking about it right now. No, no, not a thing. Like he, he would be happy to slap your back and tell a funny joke and tell you like, you're up, Rob. And like, oh, okay guys. And then he'd get up and get it done. And, and, and so that was, that was the first thought is just, this is a sport. And then uh, as a sport, every athlete's got a different process, but at the end of the day, it's just a sport. Yeah. Well, that, that would be like playing three man, you know, pickup basketball, with Rob Latham on your team, who is essentially the equivalent of Michael Jordan and be like, Hey guy, Hey guys, you want to go and practice for the tournament this weekend? And two of us would be like, yeah, for sure. And Rob would be like, ah, just tell me when and I'll be there and, you know, show up and play. Right. He's, he's, he was even, you know, kind of joking well, and probably somewhat serious. I think, you know, he's probably shot well over a thousand matches. Sure. Like, you sure. know, official matches, uh, probably thousands. Uh, you know, he's been shooting since like 1979, 80, somewhere thereabouts. But he wasn't the only one like that. that that's that's the point I'm that's trying true. to make is that every athlete's got their shtick. Everyone, everyone's got their game. Well, you have the seasoned competitor that's won, you know, however many world and national titles. Uh, that so that's just this is a walk through the park. You all have those that don't maybe take it as seriously. But then you have some that do take it seriously, but they're, they're, the way they work, the way they operate is just different from others. I mean, uh, agreed. Sure. Yep. yep. So I, I'm actually curious, how would you describe me? Uh, you're very in your headspace, right? So, you know, it, and this is just true of Riley. So this is not, it was not a shock to me, but you know, I, I, you're not, you're not having long conversations, uh, and, and and you definitely like spin up, right? So it's like, oh, I'm eighth in line. Okay, I can relax right now. But you're watching every single person who runs the the, the stage. You're not, you know, being distracted. You're not walking off. You're not checking your phone. You're, you know, you're paying attention. Is and when you're, you know, when you're, th- you know, next, like you're, you know, you're you're two away or on deck or whatever. And then and then you're in the hole or whatever, like that. You were on it, right? Like you were just you get more and more zoned in. And then it was like it's go time. I'm, I'm paying attention. Uh, very focused on, you know, mental rehearsal. You, you, you can see, and, and the guys who do mental rehearsal, it's really obvious because they air gun that thing to death, right? They're like, yeah. And then, and then I'm going to go like that, you know, and, and uh, you guys can't see it, but imagine like air guitar, but you know, walking yourself through a stage. So that's, that's you, man. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you were not the most hardcore in the zone shooter there, but you're, you're pretty dang high on that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, after all the mental errors I've made through the years, I've I've learned that I need to I'm getting a little bit better at managing that mental game and what I need to do to to do well, to perform well. Um speaking of which, I still had errors in this match, which was frustrating at times. Uh but you know, you 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 try to just hey, okay, it happened, can't change it now, on to the next thing, right? Uh which the good thing was I still had really good stages even after I had some less good stages. Well, you you bring up another interesting insight that I had, which I had forgotten until now, but I saw no nothing I would call a perfect run. Ever. Yeah, sure. Like I, I watched a lot of shooters shoot a lot of stages. I walked around. I, I hung out with a couple different squads, and I never saw a single shooter 
do what I would call a perfect run. Like it looked really good, looked really fast, looked, you know, looked, looked fast and like all alphas, all hits. Didn't see one. And that kind of surprised me. I guess I just, you know, I think that the, the tendency is to play for a trade-off and, and either, you know, take your time and hit them good or you know, move really fast to know that you're going to sacrifice some, some hit factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The concept yeah. of hit factor, by the way, is also mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, so, and uh, Matthew and I talked about that in the episode we call gunfight hit factor. Uh, so, you know, covered the math in that a little bit, but just as a quick refresher, hit factor is strictly the number of points you score on a stage divided by the time it took to score those points. So it's, it's, it's literally points per second is, is what it is. So if your hit factor is seven, you, you averaged or you scored seven points per second of time on clock shooting that stage is literally how that formula works. Uh, and, and they use hit factor scoring because it, it is a combination of your accuracy, your points, divided by your time, the speed it took you to get those points. So it's a, it's a really good metric. Um, other competitions, say like uh, IDPA, for instance, is they, they just simply record your time, but then you're penalized uh, for any points down that you are. So, you know, an IDPA target has that eight inch down zero zone. If you're outside of that in the uh, down one, then you add a full second to your time uh, for, for every shot in that down one zone or, or down three uh, or whatever is, you know, as you're, as you're further away from that eight inch zone, uh, you can be really severely pen- penalized. And, and I would say that it accomplishes a lot of the same end result, generally speaking, um, and they're with a slight edge to accuracy, actually a pretty good edge to accuracy in, ID, in the IDPA uh, world of doing things. Uh, but yeah, that's essentially what it is. It's a combination of, of speed and accuracy. And, and that I think is what it has attracted me to this style of shooting is because if you think about it in a defensive context, Jacob, you, both are very important. Uh, you can be perfect with your hits on a, human target a threat but if you take too long doing it you're going to get yourself hurt or killed you know before you can even maybe get those hits or some of those hits conversely if you are the fastest draw fastest trigger finger in the land but you miss your threat target by a long ways you can't hit the broadside of the barn uh, you also don't get the job done of stopping your threat so I'm I'm actually curious, you know, so we started with, what was your first impression? Uh, we've kind of bounced around a little bit, but I mean, what is your thought on that? I mean, is practical shooting really all that practical? Well, yeah. So at some point we did an episode, I think, if not, we should about kind of the, you know, for lack of a better word, like the hierarchy of what comes to play in a shooting scenario. And, and we generally train these things in reverse in terms of things that are least important to the things that most are most important. And so when I'm looking at this, I think about things like mindset, shooting skills themselves, tactics, um, you know, all, all the things that come to play in a defensive scenario. Uh, the shooting skills definitely transcend between the sport and, and the reality. So, you know, being able to grip a gun well and operate the trigger at a high velocity while not disturbing the gun sights and, you know, and getting good presentation and getting, you know, all those things, 
I don't see how that doesn't apply across both. Like I, anyone who says that it doesn't apply is a fool in my world, right? It, shooting is shooting, shooting skills are shooting skills. So if you said, hey, Jacob, you know, here's here's five people that you can you know take to the gunfight with you that you can go to war with, you know, these two dudes, you know, they, they, they've got their concealed carry permit. These two dudes, they've never seen a concealed carry class but man, they, have, they 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 shoot USPSA in their A class or whatever. Like, who would you take? I think I'd, I'd you know roll my dice on the competitive shooters because at least I have a high degree of confidence that they're going to be able to operate the gun really proficiently. Now that said, uh, in in what I saw at, at the Area Two match, I saw nothing that would suggest there's any crossover with tactics. That there, there's nothing you're learning in that environment that in my world has any application to defensive tactics at all. Um, zero, because you're, you're not, you don't approach a stage and say, Oh, you know what? If this was real life, then I would do it like this. No, you approach a stage and say, in order to maximize by points, how do I run this stage? Because it's a sport. So I don't mm-hmm. think there's any crossover with tactics um, relative to like mindset and defensive mindset. There's some crossover, but there's just as much crossover as there is for somebody who uh, is a professional, uh, a competitive swimmer, <laughs> in my opinion. Like, I don't think there's any, you know, it, the, the, the mindset value that has crossover is not related to shooting. It's just related to competition and stress inoculation and a variety of other things that are present in a lot of arenas of life, not just competitive mm-hmm. shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting thoughts. Uh, and, and I agree. Um some other things that I would throw out that maybe aren't as obvious or people don't think about as much would be the uh, the movement aspects. Now, while tactics are you know, virtually non-existent in USPSA style shooting, as far as like you're not using cover, for instance, you're not slicing the pie, you're not doing that kind of thing. But the movement piece and being comfortable with manipulating and shooting your gun uh, where there's movement involved, meaning whether it's moving from from a point to another point, which could be moving from cover to another point of cover, or perhaps even shooting while on the move. Uh, that that I think those are some definite benefits. Those are still shooting uh, skills. I, I would put that in yeah. the same category. Yep. It's just the 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 skill of being able to manipulate the firearm really well. Uh, you know in, in in, in all those contexts. And, mm-hmm. and there are some like legitimate things there. For example, uh, being able to, to look at a, 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 a series of targets and say, I got to get from point A to point B. Am I going to move and then shoot those targets or I'm going to shoot those targets while I'm moving to point B? Um, that's not tactics to me. That's still shooting skills. Uh, and so, yeah, I think all of that transfers without question. Yeah. Well, there is, it's the closest thing we get to tactics because perhaps movement could be a tactic uh, in a defensive world. So it's more about, as I see it, you know, just how it it is still a skill question. How skilled are you at running your gun while you're also running your feet? Sure. And that kind of thing. I also think, you know, so here's the other thing. This is. This is this is what USPSA has opened to my mind in a huge way uh, that I think is an absolute benefit in the tactical or defensive realm, and that is the it, it is the it's the stress management piece, right? Um, there's certainly that, but it's it's also a lot of the vision. And you and I kind of talked a little bit about this. A few episodes ago, uh, I, I, I talked about vision quite extensively, 
and the ability to sort of retain, I guess, focus on what's important. Meaning if you need a gun to solve your tactical or defensive question or, or excuse me, problem. Okay. If you need a gun to solve that problem, then it's real easy to, you know, when stress gets involved and when our mind starts like going, ah, you know, like you're, you're trying to solve this problem and yes, the, you know, the guns involved, but you know, maybe your focus or your, your awareness is not where it needs to be. As far as I need to put rounds on target, what do I need to do to accomplish that? I need to aim that gun, which implies in most cases, aiming, seeing the sights, whatever your sight system is. So I need to see that, put it on target and press, press the trigger to get rounds on target. Um, it's easy for us to look past our sights, look through our sights, and not really see our sights uh, because we're so focused on the threat. We're so focused on what the threat's doing. We're so focused on where they're moving, uh, you know, all this stuff. And we might not be really retaining focus and attention on the other part that's also important, and that's, that is the shooting. So for me, like, I see things so much when the vision starts becoming almost second nature, like we always talk about how important so-called muscle memory is uh, as far as the manipulation of the gun in your hand, right? Grabbing a mag, inserting it into the gun, racking the slide, uh, you know, drawing from the holster, all that we want to be sub at a sub at a high level of subconscious performance. In other words, we don't have to think about it as we do it. We just simply do the vision piece that's been really huge for me. And I think that will translate in a big way to defensive context as well. Uh, in that, uh, and granted, I'm running a red dot and the red dot makes it, I think a lot easier, but I'm thinking there's my target and I'm looking at, and I'm focused on that target, but I'm also seeing that red dot and I'm pressing the trigger and I'm putting rounds on target. I can do that very, very, very fast now compared to, a year, two years, three years ago. And it's sort of like a three steps forward, one step back thing. So before anyone sends me hate mail, let me be really clear what I mean by this. I think that the advantages of competitive shooting outweigh the disadvantages, but to suggest that there's not any disadvantages is also naive in my opinion. For example, uh, is it fair to say that competitive shooters are much more likely to just put two shots on every target? Uh, I like, think that is them all twice. I think that's a reasonable um, assumption to make that 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 is a potential risk. A potential. I'm not saying like, oh my gosh, you're all screwed. You're all definitely going to you know double tap everybody. I'm saying that we have to acknowledge that it's a it's a potential concern, right? That has to be yeah. overcome or, or or mitigated as a risk. I'll give I, you one more. Okay, go ahead. Another one would be just the idea of don't stop till all, all targets are down. You have targets. Shoot them all now, quickly. Go. <laughs> like, like, there's at no point in competitive shooting is there a decision to shoot or not shoot. And I know you have no shoot sure. targets, which mm-hmm. I also found intriguing. But the no shoot target is not a decision. It's something just to avoid hitting. It's mm-hmm. it, there's no decision made to in the moment. Do I have to shoot that or not? The mm-hmm. decisions made in advance 
to shoot all targets and just avoid hitting the ones that are, you know, effectively like think like a hostage target would be a more accurate thing than a no shoot, but whatever. So, so yeah, I think that we have to just, just to be clear, super advantageous, awesome, like much to be gained, all benefits outweigh all risks, but to suggest that there are no risks, I think it's slightly naive. Yeah, no, that's all fair. A couple, couple thoughts in response. It would be that uh, some of this is definitely on the shooter, right? And and their own personal approach, their mindset of how they approach things, meaning that um, you you use the term double tap, right? And to be clear, when I'm shooting, you know, so so a paper target and paper, you see, talk about outsider looking in. If if I t- said if I told you paper target and you never saw a USPSA match, you probably think literal paper. And when we say paper target in USPSA world, it, we're talking about a cardboard target, <laughs> right? Yeah, sure. Um, and so we have we have the cardboard targets. Uh, typically USPSA style target, which is sort of humanoid in shape and also pretty close in dimension as well. And then there's also what we call the IPSC target, which is kind of a turtle shaped target uh, uh, that uh, yeah, came it came to be to be a little more of a politically correct target. The IPSC targets are widely used overseas. Um, anyway, so when I'm shoot, each paper target requires at least two alpha hits or at least two hits, right? Ideally we get two alphas, right? So a zone five points each, every paper targets worth 10 points. Uh, so ideally we get two alphas. So we know we got to shoot every paper target at least twice. And to be clear, I am not double tapping. I am. Those are two, those are two decided shots that, that sure, I recognize sure. that's a paper target, but it is two sight pictures. If you will, it is dot on target, press trigger dot on target, press trigger. Right. Sure. However, do we see some more novice shooters uh, that take the kind of the double tap approach? One sight picture, whack, whack twice. Right. Yeah. We see that a lot. And, and those are the ones where we'll see alpha wide, Charlie alpha Delta alpha Mike alpha miss. In other words, uh, because they're not seeing two sight pictures, they're they're seeing one and then whack whack as fast as they can. Because because mm-hmm. per, the perception a lot of times of higher level shooters is that that's what they're doing. The reality is is uh, the more novice shooter doesn't realize the higher level shooter is seeing their sights or their dot both times. They're just able to see it very quickly. Sure. So anyway, point is um, my point there is that. Some of that I would say is approach. My approach is that I'm not double tapping a target. It's just that that target is not neutralized till it gets two two good hits. Um, uh, perhaps there's just a vocabulary script because I don't think that's relevant to my comment at all. Well, but but it, it it I think it is a little bit because the the, the difference in mindset is if one shooter sees a target and goes, "I must double tap that, no matter what." And so where the, where where this is where there's a little bit of a distinction, Jacob, is that I'm looking for two good hits on every target. Now, what do I define? You're seeing that, sure. What what do I define as two good hits? Two alphas, or two, at least an alpha, and a you know a, a, what we call a close Charlie, meaning that it's it's just you know it it's in the C zone, but it's not that far out if that means you know like it's it's kind of it's it's a close charlie meaning it's close to alpha but it's probably a charlie why is that relevant um 
if I hit somebody or hit a target in the D zone, the Delta zone, that's like a peripheral hit on a man. That's not a good hit. I need to have reasonable confidence that I'm getting good center, you know, essentially center chest cavity hits. Uh, so here's the thing. Am I looking at the, the target and going, oh, there's my hits. Okay, I got two good hits. No, these are decisions based on what I see in my my sights or my my uh, my gun, right? So these these are called shots. I'm looking at my sights on target. And I'm going, that's a good one. That's a good one. And every once in a while, you'll see me go one, two, three, and that third one will come very close on the heels of one and two, because I will recognize one, two. Well, one of those was a little bit out of the alpha zone and I've already made that decision. I'm, I'm hitting it again. So it's a recognition that I'm not done with that target until I'm done with that target. I might have to shoot a target four or five times. I had to shoot a target. I had to shoot a target in this match four times because I, I recognized. And actually, unfortunately, one of those was a one, two, three. And then I actually started to turn away and I was like, wait, nope. One of those was not good. And I had to go back on it. Uh, I'm not trying to say that it's like, real world stuff at all. I'm just saying that you're not done till you're done. Yeah. And that's and my mental that's my mental approach, if that makes sense. I think that's why the benefits outweigh the cons, right? It's because even your description, like there's there's great value in developing the skill of being able to call one shots. Right. And, and so yeah. again, all the benefits outweigh the cons. But yeah. during the course of a, of a of a stage of fire, there's very little decision making. Right. The the decisions have all been made in advance. What to shoot, how many times to shoot it. I mean, I, I understand that there are blind stages. I didn't see any at area two, but sometimes there's a thing I understand that can be a blind stage and you don't know what you're going to get till you get there. But for the most part, you kind of have the whole thing mapped out. The decisions are perhaps made in that, oh, I didn't, I don't like my hits, so I'm going to send one more uh, because they only score apparently the top two hits, at least all the stages that I saw. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, again, all the benefits still outweigh the cons. But I I still stick with what I said that to suggest that there are no cons is naive. Yep. Now, one thing I do like seeing occasionally is you'll see stages where you have to hit every target three times instead of two. Uh, they're more rare than than the, you know. The, the, but we did have a stage like that at Area One where every target had to be hit three times. So that's just an, another way that competition can mix it up a little bit. Uh, you know. So yeah, just. There's there's ways of mixing it up, and I think even mixing it up is is not just good from like a defensive standpoint, you know, being more realistic in some way, uh, not assuming every human threat in the world is only going to require two hits, but uh, but also it's it's a good it's good for it's a it's a good challenge in the competitive world as well because you're you're just mixing things up, you're getting people outside of the normal groove. Uh, and you'll see that happen with shooters where they're so used to two, 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 two. And then you give them a stage where it's three, three, three. And they're like, one, two, oh, wait, three, one, two, uh, three. Uh, you know, like, because there's just enough yeah. of that mental proof uh, of my point mix yeah. up. Um, I, I never have a problem with that, though, because I, I, at least not in recent history, we had a stage like that at Area One, and there was several of my squad that struggled a little bit. And I just went up and I'm like, every target. Every target's not down until I get three good hits on it, and and like in my in my mind, it, like that doesn't, it's not that complicated. It's like okay, yeah, three. Yeah, three. that's good. That's good. But it's still not the know. same as a defensive encounter, right? Where you don't know yep. how many shots it's going to take. No, it's true. So you're not done till you're done, right? And and that's that's the key. That's what I'm trying to get at in my approach. One, you know, I've talked about it before, where 
uh, I, I'm not always perfect in this, but I try to. Like, I know that at least I remember what reviewing one of my videos from stage seven at area two, and I got done shooting that stage and kind of held. I like to kind of hold on target, my last target. And maybe even sometimes I'll, I'll at least look around and just sort of like a last final check because that's your last opportunity. Because once I say I'm done and I start unloading, I'm done. There's no more, right? And so it's kind of that last check like, did I get everything? Is everything down? In my mind, that's sort of the, okay, threats down. I'm confirming threats down. Situation, you know, scene is safe. Okay, now I'm done. Now I'm going back to the holster sort of thing. Um, I, I try to follow that approach as much as I can so that I'm not building into that, you know, because I do see that as being a potential, um, uh, you know, downside is whack, 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 whack. And as soon as you're done, you're just like instantly coming in and, and going for the sure. reload or, or unload and holster and all that stuff. I like mm-hmm. to kind of hold, confirm, looks good. Okay, now let's unload and let's holster. Sure. So there's there's some ways I think we can mitigate some of these potential, um, you know, muscle muscle memory mistakes, if you will. Yep. Yeah. So there's some really good comments I think going on uh, with uh, you know, our viewers here on Facebook and YouTube, and uh, so like one thing I wanted to touch on was so Jared here just said a moment ago that I think from the defensive shooter standpoint, anything outside the A zone is a bad shot. Uh, that's fair, right? And so when we're shooting competitively, it, it's a it's a judgment, right? It's a judgment call. It, you sh- First of all, you should be calling your shots. And calling your shots means you know where the shots go based on the visual feedback of what you see in your sights or in your gun when those shots were fired. Uh, that's an absolute relevant skill for the real world that frankly, few, few shooters have, uh, yeah. So it's something that's becoming more of of an emphasis with me as I work with shooters is I really want to teach them the ability to call shots. And it's something I think we can learn earlier on in our shooting skill development than people probably have realized up until now. And, And so what, what, at the speeds we're going a lot of times in USPSA, it's keep in mind that a lot of times my sighting system, my dot, it could be irons and it wouldn't be that different, but those are rarely holding still. My dot has to hold still somewhat, has to settle when I have, it's like stage seven is a great example because we had some, we had a mini popper at like 25 plus yards that was kind of obscured slightly by a barrel. I mean, it, it was from where I was standing. You could lean over more and see it fully, but but that's a pretty small target at that distance. I have to see that dot settle on that for me to hit it. But then I transition over to some closer paper targets, and on those, my dot is just whack. You know, it's just it's basically just jumping around. And uh, so so for me to call. For me to call two good hits, like I, what it is, what it comes down to is I'm making a judgment call that that those look close enough to me. All right. So whatever the standard of shooting is, Jared, that's the standard of shooting. Whatever I deem to be the critical, like what I need to hit in the moment, that becomes the standard in that moment. Whether it's a 6 by 11 inch A zone on a USPSA target, whether it's a 8 inch circle on an IDPA target, whether it's I'm looking at a human 
a human threat, and I know that high center chest, about the size of a grapefruit, that's where I'm trying to keep all my rounds in, that's the standard in that moment. Uh, So we want to be seeing our dot or our sights in that zone. We want to be calling our shots, and we're going to, you know, I'm calling them as best as I can. When I feel like it's a close Charlie, yes, that might not be a zone. Yes, that might be a failure in defensive shooter world. Uh, But it could also be a a good A zone shot. And I just happened to call it wrong. It could also be a little bit worse than a Charlie. But what I know by calling all alphas and close Charlies is that more often than not, it works out better than what I think. Uh, what we don't want to have are those peripheral hits because those don't do anybody any good. Anyway, uh, but, but good thoughts because I, I don't disagree with you, uh, Jared, on your uh, on your point. Uh, yes, Jared, I know. Neurological mistakes is a better term than muscle memory mistakes. You aren't training your muscles, blah, blah. I, I know. And we've covered this on the podcast. I, I say muscle memory usually with air quotes. Uh, because I understand that, but I also understand that most people hear muscle memory and kind of have an idea of what I'm talking about. Um, I've used the term myelination before, uh, implying that by repeating, repetitively doing the same thing again and again, that we're wrapping or building myelin around these, these uh, uh, neurological pathways making them more efficient. And, and that's essentially what's what's happening. At least that's what I understand. Regardless, that's the end goal. As we do things repetitively, we get better and, because we do it again and again and again. Everybody knows that. Anyway, all right. So, uh, I don't know. Any thoughts on on what we were just talking about there, Jacob? Or No, I think, I think we hit that one hard enough for me. Yeah. What was your thought? I mean, so we have a question actually here from Tim on Facebook. He he says that I'm talking about carry optics. That is what I'm shooting in USPSA. That is also primarily what I shoot personally. My carry gun now is an, is a is an op, has an optic mounted to the slide. Um, that is what I'm focusing on. What was your thought about equipment that you saw at the match, Jacob? As far as like what shooters were running, uh, the guns, the holsters, that kind of thing. Well, even now, I could not list all the divisions of USPSA shooting. I couldn't do it. Like I know I can throw some words. Like I know we have limited. I know we have production. We know we have open carry optics, PCC, single stack. There might be others. I really have no idea. Like I think I probably got most of them. You, you just got the big ones for sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, to me, it was I was shocked about a couple of things. One, I was shocked that a, a single squad is shooters from all, all various uh, divisions. I thought that was super weird. Like I would want to compete with dudes who are in my division. So I thought that was weird and whatever. I, I'm sure there's good reasons, but I, I was taken, I was shocked by that. I was surprised by that. Yeah. Um, but it, it and I, I don't know these divisions well enough to like look at a shooter and be like, oh, that must be what they run. Um, but there definitely were enough shooters that, I, you know, enough enough guns that I could I could tell were limited, right? Like I was like, oh, okay, that's that's not a gun. That's not a holster. So <laughs> clearly like this, like that's not a world I'm familiar with at all. Like, 
there, there was plenty of that. Like that's, and, and from my perspective, that is neither a gun or a holster. But I, I mean, obviously, at a very technical level, they are. But they're they're not anything that you know is realistic in in any <laughs> any functional space outside of whatever they must be com- competing in uh, division wise. Um, yep. But but it was it was uh, it was cool to see a lot of things. Like for example, Team Glock was there, and they run Glocks. Uh, I'm sure that they got some price and trigger work, and maybe there's some other things going on there. But they're pretty much just Glocks. And, um, you know, see a lot of the single stack guys, some of those guns are pretty tricked out, but a lot of people are just running relatively traditional 1911s. So I think it varies a lot from, from person to person. Here's what it really comes down to. Once again, it's a sport. It's a sport. And so the people who want to be the top competitors got the best gear. It's no different than when I show up on the track and I can quickly identify the runners I got to worry about based on the shoes they're wearing. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, Okay. Those are $95 spikes. We're running an 800 meter race. Like you don't wear spikes in an 800 meter race unless you're serious. Like you're, you're going to, you're going to be fast if you're running, wearing, or you're a moron. Uh, But, but either way, like that's someone to keep an eye on. So similar kind of thing. You show up to these events and you start to like even the ammo down to the ammo, every, every little tiny detail, because we're trying to squeeze out the maximum amount of performance uh, for a very specific uh, situation and environment. It's it's just like any other sport. That's 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 the best you know angle. I guess I would I would see it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So real quick, just to address your comment about squads. Uh, in most matches, the competitors themselves determine their squads. They they they're they're when they register, they're either given the opportunity right then and there, or at some later date and time, they get notified that hey, squatting is now open. You can go in and select which squads you're going to be on. And, and so then a lot of people have. A couple of approaches. One, they either want to shoot with all buddies, and all their buddies might be shooting various different things, different divisions, or they'll look for uh, for similar, uh, you know, people shooting similar divisions. Uh, or occasionally at your big matches, you'll have things like super squads, which are more assigned, or people are selected to be on like a super squad, and usually the super squads are of a similar division. Uh, for instance, at Nationals, where I went to a few weeks back, uh, you had carry optics and production at the same, uh, you know, shooting at the same time, and you had a carry optics super squad, and you had a production super squad. Uh, my approach is I'm cool with shooting with whoever. I like meeting new people, and but I do look at, at the squad options, and I go... I want to shoot with at least a few that uh, of fellow competitors that are in a sim, you know, in my same division, um, so that because their approach will be similar to mine, most more more than likely. Um, it's a little bit frustrating when you're the one carry optics dude in a squad all shooting single stack, which is unusual. Probably everybody's shooting production uh, because then you, you then you're in a squad where every you know like you can't really pick up on. Uh, you, you, it's harder to pick on things you might have missed when you're walking the stage and doing your stage prep uh, because they have to reload like dang near every position that they're shooting from. And me, I, I'm, I'm running 22, 23 rounds in a mag. So it's very different from 10 rounds to 22, 23. So uh, yeah, I, I definitely try to be squatted. It's cool to be with people that you know and you like. Uh, at the same time, I also am looking for that balance of I want people that I know that I'm going to have fun with, but also that I'm going to be able to learn from and be doing similar things with our guns, meaning similar divisions. I'm okay with shooting with guys that are shooting open or limited. 
because uh, plans are typically going to be pretty similar. Our capacities are more in line. It's a little more difficult when you have very different capacities uh, all on a, on a squad together, in my opinion. But anyway, so good good thoughts and good observations there. Um, so, you, you know, you talked about all these divisions, right? And here's what's cool about USPSA is that there's kind of something for everybody, right? For the guy that wants to get better at running his carbine, uh, there's PCC, pistol caliber carbine, and you, there's a whole division for you. Uh, so you, you, I mean, you're not shooting two, two, three or five, five, six, but it's still awesome practice to be running a nine millimeter carbine or whatever. And, you know, shooting, shooting these stages. Uh, so really great opportunity to get better at your carving. If you carry a carry optics gun, meaning a, a, a slot mounted a dot of some kind, and that's your gun and you want to get better at it. Well, you can shoot carry optics. That's awesome. Uh, if you want to run your actual carry gun, you can do that. If you carry a Glock 17 stock, you can run a Glock 17 stock and shoot production. Yeah, your capacity will be limited at 10 rounds, but that's still great practice. And it's good practice to get those reloads in too. Uh, or if you just want to have fun and you know money is no object for you, you can go spend thousands of dollars on an open division gun and and run one of those just, just to have fun, just to go fast. You know, that that's that's always cool too. And then also there's some there's opportunities too elsewhere. I mean, maybe you carry a a, a a pistol that has a compensator on it and an optic and a magwell. Not a true open division gun, but that's what you carry because for whatever reason, that's what you carry. Well, shoot open. You're not going to be as competitive, but you're there maybe you know with different uh, ideas in mind. You just want to be better at running that gun, your carry gun. Or maybe for the guy that... Uh, uh, wants to draw from and, and 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 compete from appendix just to get better from appendix carry uh, draw. You can shoot in limited or open divisions and draw from appendix. Everybody else has got to come from you know at least the the hip bone back three o'clock or so back. So there's a lot of opportunities there. At least in USPSA, IDPA a little more limited because there's not an open division, so you have to select a gun that fits in one of the divisions. And and you can't do appendix carry at all in any division in in IPA, which I think is a bit unfortunate. I hope that actually changes at some point, because uh, I think you know the world of concealed carry has really migrated more to appendix than it has maybe in the past. And you have the whole International Defensive Pistol Association that doesn't allow anybody to draw from appendix. So anyway, just interesting things to think about. Um, so, I mean, we've been going at this a little bit while, a little while now, Jacob, uh, I guess, you know, the, the, the point here was to just have a conversation about, I, I, I wanted to kind of hear from you, your outsider's view, looking at the competitive shooting world. And cause I, I'm pretty sure that there's some people out there that will relate to how you view things. And I think, I just think it's an interesting opportunity to have a conversation about competitive shooting and and what value there is in it, and we've touched on some of that already. I don't know. Is there any other? Are there any other things that? I mean, for instance, I, I know that you're not in, you're not in, you're not going to be competing yourself anytime soon. It's just not something you have an interest in. Nope, nope. And this did not change that at all. I did not come out here like, oh my gosh, I was wrong. I need to do this. Uh, you didn't see our smiling faces and how much fun <laughs> we were having. 
Even if I did, it's irrelevant. I just, I couldn't care less how much fun you're having. Nothing about it looked like something I'm interested in spending my time doing. Yeah. Um, which, which is fine. Like I, I say that without any shame at all. I'm perfectly comfortable with that. Yep. Um, but I think that a person just got to pick hobbies. This, this is, this is a hobby. It is. It's a hobby. Um, is it a healthy hobby? Sure. So is swimming. Um, so you can pick any, any number of hobbies that you have the time and money to, to do. And if you want to do competitive shooting, cause you love shooting guns, you want to increase, you, you feel like impre- increasing your shooting skills are really important. And so for a time you, you're going to really, you know, work hard and, and, and try to advance in USPSA or IDPA. Like, awesome. I, I think that's hats off to you. Like go do something and love it and have fun with it. Um, and that's fine. And maybe you'll do it for a time and then you'll say, great, I, I think I got out of this what I wanted. Now you're going to go move on to the next thing. That's fine. Um, it, I, I know that there are some matches that a person has to qualify to go to, but this this was an area match, which I'm told is a, quote, major match. Apparently there's matches you guys classify as being major or not. But anyone could show up and compete at this thing. I, I saw shooters there that did not have the cool shoes, did not have the cool pants, did not have the cool guns, did not have the cool glasses, did not have the cool ear protection. And they probably live like 30 minutes away. They're like, oh, there's a shooting match in my backyard. I'm in. So I do think mm-hmm. that there's a, a very welcoming environment there. And, and certainly anyone can just show up and do it. And you're going to be fine. Have a good time. And if that, you know, go to, go to town. Yeah, have a good time. I'll, I'll, I'll give a couple other quick thoughts. Because I, I think this is one thing that I, I would caution people. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of shooters have dreams of becoming sponsored and getting paychecks. It was very apparent to me and has been for some time. And this, this, this trip reiterated that that is a, that is a dream. Like the number of people out there who really are getting paid to shoot is, is, is a, it's a small number. Like we're talking less than probably like 12 people in this country, um, maybe 20. But then you might be saying, Jacob, I don't need to get paid to shoot. I just want to get my stuff for free. I just want free ammo. Oh, okay. We can spin, we can spin up that list now. We're probably talking like 40 people. So it's, it's, I think that if your dream is, well, if I become a competitive shooter and I develop some good skills, I'll get all this stuff for free and I won't have to buy ammo anymore. Uh, you're going to spend some ridiculous amount of money buying stuff in order to get good enough to be able to get to a point where someone's going to give you free ammo. So I guess I would just you know, warn people that if that's your reasoning, if that's your objective, or if you think that's, that's super realistic in a short period of time, that's, that's naive and that's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, the way I look at that, Jacob, is that, uh, it, and you're exactly right, There, there's a pretty small pool of people that do have that fortunate blessing of where this is basically their living, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, going to the range every day, practicing, traveling the country, shooting all these matches, representing these companies. And, and by that, I mean, at this match, you had Rob Lath. Uh, yep. Shane Coley and the Glock. And, and but so even Shane that's Coley debatable. And- Th- those guys have jobs. The team Glock, they have to show up and do stuff other than shoot for Glock, right? They don't, they don't get Apparently. To- I, I don't know to what extent, right? But I mean, Shane, I know works on marketing, customer service reports and yep. different things, you yep. know, uh, Rob is definitely involved, you know, with, with various things at uh, Springfield, yep. uh, Springfield Armory, you know, uh, but still, I mean, primary function is shoot and shoot well and sure. uh, you get this you know amazing job but, but, but still, you're exactly still a right. short list yeah at the, at, again at this match there's there was maybe three or four people that like they, this is their job right out of 400 and uh that's that's so true 
but I kind of look at it from the standpoint of look, look how many kids grow up playing baseball and football and basketball and like what are the chances or odds of them actually making the pros and where that becomes their living sure it's probably not all that different in, but that's the point is that then go play baseball because you enjoy baseball not because you think you're going to be uh you know batting for the rockies we're in denver so i have to say rockies yeah uh, well, yeah i mean it, it really yeah it's, that's totally true it's like kind of what do you want to get out of it and for most people they enjoy doing it they enjoy shooting so like their level of participation should should reflect that for those that want to take it higher uh, it's going to require a lot of work. It's like, you know, geez, Larry Bird or Michael, J- uh, Michael Johnson. Well, he, that's also an athlete, uh, Michael Jordan. Uh, you know, these, those guys worked very hard to become pros, you know, every day for years and years and years for hours every day. That's kind of about what you're going to have to do to, and then there's still no guarantee you're going to be in the right place at the right time to get that right sponsorship and that right job with the right company, you know? So it, it is definitely, uh, yeah. Those that are able to do that are truly, truly blessed. Um, but it probably comes with some downsides too. But anyway, very, very, very fair point. Uh, for those that are not as well-educated in this regard, uh, what sponsorship means for most shooters is discount off product. That's what it means for most. Uh, some free product here and there, depending on what it is and depending on the company and depending on the shooter. Um, I'll just be straight up. Um, most of my stuff is 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 basically discount stuff. I do get some things for free. I've been provided mag pouches and holsters uh, from LAG Tactical. My com- they, re- they provide all my competition stuff. They, they sent it to me. That was gifted to me free. Very appreciative to them of that. Uh, Gray Guns has done all the work on my P320s. For free, uh, very very thankful for that. I'm, I'm proud to be on the Gray Guns shooting team. Uh, you know, but but there's other things like my belt provided by Carbon Arms. Bought it at discount. Nice nice discount, but definitely bought it at discount. Um, Concealedcarry.com and Range Tech Shot Timers. Well, that's my job. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely paid paid sponsor in that case. Then. Um, I, I yeah. like what Jared said here. Jared's uh, viewing live from Facebook right now. And his comment here, not all may agree with it, but I think it's a valid consideration. He says, I think the average person can better improve defensive skills by spending the money on quality training and professional coaching rather than on organized competition. So the the short answer is like, if you have the money, do both, <laughs> right? Like you'd get, you, you, you get value out of all the above. But a person with a limited budget has got to make a decision. And I think if the decision is, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna make this a hobby and I'm going to allocate budget to it and take it away from fishing or hunting or this other thing I was really into, uh, and I'm going to allocate it here for the next couple of years because I think it's going to be really fun and bonus, I get to build my shooting skills. I think that's, that's awesome and that's fine. And you're probably going to get just as much value out of that for a time. There's always going to be a, a point of diminishing returns. But you're probably going to get just as much value out of that as you do out of taking um, some some quality training. Mm. That said, one does not replace the other. Yeah, that that is true. Uh, one does not, and the part about one not replacing the other, and that's kind of how I viewed it. it. It is sort of an apples and oranges sort of thing. So here's what I can tell you: the average person probably can better improve defensive skills by spending the mo- their money on quality defensive training and coaching than on organized competing. That is true. 
uh, what I could do is, is it, it depends on a little bit of what you want to get good at, right? Uh, for me, this is, this is my viewpoint. Number one, I am a competitive person, so I enjoy the comp- competition aspect because it, it, it provides that outlet to go out and compete and, and be competitive. Like that's, I get a thrill out of that for whatever reason. Um, but number two, it was sort of like a, well, in the beginning, it was a, hmm, I'm surprisingly better at this than I thought. So that was a bit of a, like a bump, like a, hmm, okay, let's kind of explore this. Um, but my, my focus has since become very much on, I want to be as good with a pistol in my hand as I possibly can be. Why? Well, some of it's just for personal satisfaction, but a lot of it is because if I have to rely upon that pistol for, de- for defensive use, uh, I don't want to have to, th- like, I know that if by drawing that gun, gripping it, putting it on target and firing rounds, if that all happens as automatically as possible, it simplifies so much for me and, and gives me a step up over the average person. Um, because, you know, we covered, uh, Matthew and I just covered DGU stories, justified saves earlier today. And most of those that we cover are average Joes and Janes that frankly, probably aren't all that good at shooting their guns defensively, but they're fortunate that they come out of those situations in one piece. Um, I want to have a step up over that. I don't want to be just average with a gun in my hand. And so, uh, what I can tell you this much, uh, Jared, is that if all you take is defensive shooting courses, you will never, that's a strong word, but it's probably not far. likely you will, um, you'll pretty much never become that good of a shooter. I'll be honest. Cause, cause the defensive courses I'm familiar with teach you some shooting, but the defensive aspect takes a little bit of precedence and so it's like, eh, you're, most classes take the approach of you're just good enough to get through this course and pass our standards. And you learn some defensive stuff and tactics along the way. Shooting courses push you to become a much better shooter. And maybe you're not really focused on the tactics and stuff at all. But if you really want to elevate your shooting performance, I kind of think you need to do some competitive shooting. So I see it as it's apples and oranges. And it's sort of what you think is important for you to get out. And I think a good mix of both, frankly, is a really good thing. It's a really healthy thing. Getting some good defensive training, getting some good hands-on, you know, uh, or hand-to-hand training, getting some good shooting training, and competing with shooting, I think will make a person very well-rounded in their approach. Anyway. Yep. Jared also mentioned coaching. And I think coaching is, you know, as valuable as the coach is. So that, that, that could be any degree of awesome or not. And that's, that seems pretty intuitive. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, we're, we, we've pretty much used up our time and, and uh, so we, we should wrap it up, but it's been a really interesting conversation. I think, I don't know whether the viewers and listeners uh, have liked it or not. Uh, again, you're welcome to send your feedback podcast at concealed carry.com. Uh, we'll get back to you guys. Uh, but uh, hopefully there's just some interesting things to consider in this episode here today. One last shout out to our episode sponsors, rangetechtimer.com for the most affordable, most capable shot timer on the market. Also, the new Ready Up Gear Roger 22 Ear Pro available at readyupgear.com. 
And with that, I guess it's a wrap. Last words, Jacob? Uh, nope. Well, then I'm going to do it. Meaning the end of show phrase. Guys, take care out there. Uh, again, we're still kind of experimenting with or, or learning this new format. Twice a day. Uh, it was Thursday today. Next week, we should be on the Wednesday show schedule. We'll do two episodes next Wednesday, 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, but until then, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. Have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.